Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. So pleased to be here, and I bring greetings from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas uh, to you. When our congregation found out that Bryce and Lisa were going to be heading to Bogota, everybody began making their plans to come and visit. So hopefully, you'll have a regular stream of Texans uh, making their way down. Uh, before I left, of course, everyone said, you know, hey, be sure to tell Bryce and Lisa and the kids that we said hello. Uh, I had a list. I've left the list back home, so if anybody asks you, I've told them all that you said hello, or that they said hello. Why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can keep a finger there, because we'll also look a little bit at Acts chapter 2 later in the sermon. I'm going to read for us Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we long for that day when Jesus returns in the same way that he left. We know that the time and the hour of that day is fixed. We know that it is rushing toward us. So as we wait, we pray that you would empower us, not just to wait patiently, but to do the work that you have called your church to do, and particularly that you would empower us to do the work that you have called this church and this pastor to do. We pray that these words would fill us up so that we might know your presence and your power in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When a church calls a new pastor, they often have significant expectations for him. Uh, a pastor that Bryce and I uh, would follow in the United States. He's a Southern Baptist researcher. His name was Tom Rainier. Uh, in one of his early churches, he asked his leadership team to essentially give him an idea of what their expectations were for his work 
in the ministry. He gave them a number of different areas of ministry, and he asked, can you just write down next to each area of ministry about how much time you think I should spend in that area of ministry? You can imagine what that list looks like. Prayer, sermon preparation, evangelism, counseling, visitation, the admin stuff that any church has, has to happen, uh, being involved in the community, uh, being involved in the denomination, church meetings, actual Sunday morning worship, and then a miscellaneous category. So each person had that list, and each person gave the number of hours that they thought needed to take place for each activity. He collected them, and then he tallied them all together. How many hours of prayer? 14. Sermon prep? 18. Evangelism? 10. Counseling? 10. Home visitation? 15. Admin? 18. Community involvement, five. Denominational involvement, five. Meetings at church, five. Sunday morning worship and preaching and other things like that, four. And miscellaneous, ten. Have you been keeping count? Have you been keeping a tally of what that total is? The minimum number of hours that they expected him to spend pursuing all of his responsibilities was 114 hours per week. Thank God that's not your expectation of Bryce. Lisa thanks you as well. I know that's not your expectation, but certainly when Bryce and Lisa and the children came, you had certain hopes. You had certain dreams, certain desires that you wanted to see fulfilled here at UCB. And you wonder, how will Bryce help you to fulfill them? What kinds of gifts and talents will he bring with him? How might the church change even under his leadership? I have uh, moved, as Bryce mentioned, we first knew each other in California. And about seven years ago, I moved from California to Austin, Texas to take a new church. And anytime you take a new church, there are expectations that the congregation has of a new pastor, just like you have of Bryce. But this morning, I want to remind you that the power to see the church grow, the power to be effective in ministry here in Bogota, the power to see the kingdom of God advance here in Colombia or in the United States or all over the world, that power doesn't lie in Bryce. That power doesn't lie in you either. In fact, the actual results of that work aren't even up to us. Now that can both be infuriating because you want to know that what you're doing is actually working, but it's also relieving. Because at the end of the day, the power to do the work that God has called you to do, either as a pastor or as a congregation, it is part of the work and promise of Jesus Christ for his church. If we forget that, we might fall into one of two errors. If we forget that that power comes from Jesus, one error that we might fall into is the pursuit of busyness. I'm going to be busy, and I'm going to look like I'm doing things for Jesus, 
and it's going to look like we are an effective church because we've got lots of programs and lots of things happening and people will look at us and be impressed. Or another problem, another error, is to fall into a kind of passive quietism, waiting, almost like the paralytic waited in John chapter 5, next to the pool of Bethesda, waiting for the waters to ripple before we know that God is at work. And so we're constantly on the, on the lookout, but never actually doing anything. Scripture doesn't give us this choice between a mad dash of reckless work or passive waiting. Instead, God's word charges us. It charges ministers, it charges congregations, it charges churches with a difficult work. But the charge that Scripture gives the church, the charge that Scripture gives the ministers of the church, isn't just an exhortation. Instead, the kind of charge that I want to give to Bryce and that I want to give to all of you comes by way of a different definition of charge. Instead of an exhortation, I want you to think of charging up your cell phone, filling it up with power, making sure that you have the resources that you need to do the work that God has called you to. So more than a law under which we must labor, the Bible's charge is a promise of power. Power to be who God has called you to be and what God has called you to be in this time and in this place. And one of the best places that I think in Scripture that we can find this kind of charge are these words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1. Some of the last words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. The focus that I want to give particularly is on verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That power was, of course, demonstrated. If you just turn the page to Acts chapter 2, that power was demonstrated on the day of Pentecost when the tongues of fire settled over the believers' heads, when the large number of people responded to Peter's preaching out in the streets of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that 3,000 people were added to a church of just 120. In one day, the church exploded into a megachurch. And of course, you and I long to see that power exercised here through the ministry of UCB, here through the ministry of Bryce. We want to see that power here in Bogota and in Austin and around the world. Okay, Eric, so how do we get it? How do we package it up? How do we parcel it out to one another so that we can be that kind of church that also sees this kind of kingdom growth and this kind of effectiveness in ministry. Oh man, wouldn't that be cool if we could do that? Wouldn't it be great if we could package up that power? Wouldn't it be great if we could like bottle it up and pass it around to one another? But of course, we don't do that. 
The power that Jesus promises isn't a substance that can be given to you. But because it's not a substance that can be given to you, it's also not a substance that can be taken away from you. Having been given the Holy Spirit by the resurrected and ascended Jesus, we have the power that he promises here in Acts chapter 1 because his power is his presence. Jesus didn't fill up the disciples' magic account with power that they could dip into whenever they needed to do something remarkable for God. Instead, he promised them his continuing presence in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And friends, for that reason, that power, it doesn't grow, it doesn't fade away. That power is always on, it's always constant, it's always effective, and it always accomplishes its purposes. I confess, however, that there have been times in my own ministry where I have believed or felt like the power has faded away, like it's been worn down, like I needed a fresh infusion of power. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way as an officer of the church, as a volunteer in the church, worn down, drugged down by the hard work of ministry? Have you ever felt that way just as a Christian? You don't seem to be growing like you thought you would. You're not as interested in the things of the Lord as you once were. Your focus just seems to be off and You find yourself struggling with some of the same old sins that you thought you had retired a long time ago. What do you do in these situations? When you feel like the power has faded away, I think many of us have our own recipes. Recipes for mixing up a new batch of power, a new self-made revival so that we can start feeling on top of things again. Something to get our groove back. A fresh infusion of excitement and energy. Friends, when we do that, really all that we're doing is scraping the bottom of empty jars. There's nothing else there. Because instead of turning back to God, we're turning to our own good ideas. We're turning to our own ideas for improvement, our own ideas of what God needs from us. When we're faced with these situations, when we think that a fresh infusion of power is necessary, it usually means that we've forgotten that the power of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit won't be taken away from you. Which means that the power of the Holy Spirit won't be taken away from you. And so the answer in these cases isn't for us to despair. It isn't for us to sit down in apathy or in resignation. Instead, we have to realign our thinking to remember why Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the church. 
What was the Spirit supposed to do? The power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church was intended to do three things. And I'm just going to briefly walk through these with you as we finish. The first thing is that the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit was intended to usher in the last days. I asked you if you could to keep a finger in Acts chapter 2. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17, 16, and 17, you'll see that the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost actually quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel. He says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, when is that going to happen? Look at verse 16. This, Peter says, everything that you see around you, all that confuses you, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. The last days have dawned because the Spirit has been poured out. Now, in Israel's mind, the last days were the time that God would finally do what he had promised to do from the time of Abraham onward. You and I often think of the last days as what happens at the end of human history, as the clock of, human, of humanity finally ticks its last seconds. And we might be influenced by a lot of popular theology about the way that those events are supposed to happen. That was the farthest thing from Israel's mind. For Israel, the last days were the days that God finally came through for them. The days that the people, instead of struggling with sin, would finally turn and serve God with an undivided heart. It would be the day that God would finally bring about vindication and judgment against their enemies. Friends, it's a mistake for us to read Peter's sermon and figure that these last days that he's talking about as if he's maybe a 2,000 years too early as if they were something that were yet to dawn at the end of human history. Instead, the last days are all about the advent of God's kingdom now. The advent of God's kingdom in our midst by virtue of his presence through the Holy Spirit. And that means that your church... And that means that your new pastor, together you are agents of the Spirit's last day's work. The United Church of Bogota is an outpost of the kingdom to come. It is a place where heaven and earth meet. It's an opportunity for the nations of the world to come through these doors and experience the great salvation that God has promised. I don't think this is normally what people think of when they think of going to church. Normally when people think of going to church, they think, well, I need to get my homeroom in for the week. I need to get my announcements. I, I need to get some moral exhortation. I, I need to have some help in raising my kids. I, I just need some, some feel good to remember that I'm made for a different place, a different time. Oh, Jesus, come and save us. Friends, part of Bryce's calling as your pastor is to remind you 
and to remind everyone that comes into this sanctuary that this gathering is a harbinger of the last days. It is a fulfillment of prophecy. When you gather together for worship, you enact Israel's great hope in God's faithfulness. And this vision, although it's radically different from the way that many people think about the church, I think it's also surprisingly meaningful. Meaningful for people who are living a modern nightmare, who are bouncing from one task to the other, whose calendars are filled with things that don't really seem to have much meaning at all, but it occupies their days. And they don't have any deeper meaning to their life. They don't find any great purpose to their life. Friends, when they come here, we don't tell them to spend 40 days searching for their purpose. We don't tell them the secret for living their best life now. Instead, we invite them to converse with God and to discover that each of their individual stories is part of a much larger story of redemption that God is working out in our midst. Friends, the first thing that the Spirit does is usher in the last days. The second thing that the Spirit does is He brings you together. He brings people from different backgrounds and different heritages and different beliefs all together so that they can become one people of God. This is the wonder. This is the gift of the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't just that a few select people could speak a language that they did not know. The gift of the gift of tongues was that the people of the world could hear the great acts of God spoken to them, witnessed to them in, in their own language. Whatever you believe about the validity of the gift of tongues today, we should all be confident that the Holy Spirit continues this work of gathering and witnessing to the nations of the world. In the church, you speak a different language. You speak the language of the baptized. Friends, that's a language that isn't spoken outside these walls. It isn't spoken in the public square. You speak words of forgiveness. You speak words of mercy and grace. And you speak them surrounded by a culture that is truly bound up. Bound up in chains and ropes. Bound up with anger and malice, self-righteousness and revenge. But you enter into that culture and you speak words that draw people together. People who are at odds with God, people who are at odds with one another. The words that you speak of Jesus Christ and his work for you, that's the words that transform people. From a babble of their own making to the unity of the body of Christ. So that means that those who come here, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from, they will be drawn together for one purpose, to glorify God for all the great things that he has done. Friends, Bogota is a powerful city. 
A city with political power. A city with financial and cultural power. A city with educational power. And yet you stand astride that worldly power. And you say, we speak of something different here. Not of politics, not of education. We don't even come to debate the great moral dilemmas of our age. We come to bear witness to the great deeds of God by which he has accomplished all that he requires in order for sinners to be reconciled to himself. The Holy Spirit is given to usher in the last days. The Holy Spirit is given in order to gather together from every tribe, tongue, and nation a people for God's own possession. And the third thing that the Spirit does through the church, not just the early church in Jerusalem, but through all of our churches today, the third thing is that the Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on the person and work of Jesus. And by doing so, he enables you and he equips you to bear witness to Christ's saving power and grace. You're going to do it in this language of the baptized. You're going to do it through deeds of mercy and compassion. You're going to do it as you provide for your own needs and for the needs of your unbelieving friends and family. You see, friends, when you go back to the book of Acts and you look at how this new church is established and it begins to grow and it begins to have an impact in the city of Jerusalem and maybe you even long for some of the miraculous things that are happening in this book, don't get distracted by those. Don't think that you somehow are a lesser church if, if these healings aren't happening or if these grand things that happened in the early chapters of Acts aren't taking place here. All of those miracles are bright, bold, red arrows pointing back to Jesus, to showing the Messiah has taken his throne, that he is extending his rule and reign on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you also are animated by that same power. You also have the same presence of the Holy Spirit in your midst. And that means that you as a congregation can become and will be an object lesson of grace in action. Because the Holy Spirit is active in your midst, you will bear witness to Jesus' great work to the outsiders and to the insiders, to those who know their need and to those who need to know their need. Jesus, as he prepares to leave, gives his disciples the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does three things in the church. He ushers in the last days. He gathers together the people of God. He points all of us to Jesus, equipping us to be his witnesses. Friends, that's the charge that you need to hear. That's the power that energizes you as a church with a new pastor, as you've begun to do ministry together. It isn't so much now something new that you must do together. In fact, if you must do anything, it's by going back to that source of power. 
by finding your hearts realigned around the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to remember that God the Spirit is with us, sent by the Son himself to do for us what is humanly impossible by sharing in his power. By bearing witness to his power in your midst, your hearts will be transformed. Bryce's ministry will be effective in ways that no other power can promise. So my prayer for you is that you will continue to find your hope and satisfaction in the Holy Spirit. The one who by his powerful presence enlivens you, equips you, and confirms you in the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to an impossible task, to be a kingdom outpost, an embassy of grace, to be a people with nothing else in common except the new life that we have received through Jesus Christ, to be witnesses of his power and of his lordship. Father, we need the Holy Spirit if we're going to be and do any of those things. And if Bryce and if Lisa and if the elders and the leaders, the deacons and the small group leaders and the Sunday school teachers and of all the other people in this church that do the smallest things to the biggest things, if they're going to be the church that you called them to be, they need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you. That he is not far away, just out of reach, waiting for us to extend one more little bit of strength to grab hold of him. But he is a gift, poured out in abundance on the people you love for the work that you have called them to do. Oh God, equip us, we pray, through that same spirit. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.